Um, there was a portion there that he said, I really can't cover this, but it would be a great message if you want to look at it yourselves. Did anyone look at it this week? Good job, Brother Joe. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3. <laughs> We're going to read in verse 10. Again, I'm so glad Patty and Will are here from Long Island and Sammy. Solid believers in the faith. Can't say that about everyone, but. What? Oh, take off my mask? I can. Us teachers, see, we forget all the time. We just wear them all the time now. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, again, we thank you for another time where we have been able to gather together under your name, that we might be able to worship you and learn from you. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would do a mighty work that this would not just be another normal Sunday, that somehow, Lord, you would just uh, have such an outpouring, that we would be a changed people. Lord, we know that uh, it's such a, a weird line where we have to submit ourselves to your will, and yet we just kind of want you to make us different. And so we pray that you would just uh, be powerful, that you would be able to work with our own stubbornness and our own unwillingness that we would be a people that would change for you. Again, Lord, we would desire to, and yet we have no power or even knowledge sometimes on how to do it. And so we desperately need you. We thank you so much for the way you deal with us. Again, during this time, be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. If you remember, Brother Jack was um, sitting there talking about Timothy and Paul, and this is Paul's last letter. Um, he's kind of giving his last regards to um, someone he basically discipled, okay? And it says, these are the things that Timothy has done, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance. So we're, gonna, we're just going to be in verse 10 here, Lord willing, okay? And I want to uh, speak right away to the fact that he said, you have carefully followed me. The idea here is that Paul has been made fully known to Timothy. That Timothy has kind of conformed himself to the way Paul is. Now, why do I say that? Well, just remember again, in any kind of discipleship relationship, or even your own relationship with the Lord, there is an idea where you open up. And you tell them how your life is. And so it was interesting for me to think about this again. With Timothy and Paul. What was their relationship really like? When it says that you have carefully followed it. We really don't see it right there in the text. But the idea, like I said, is that Timothy has conformed himself to kind of be like Paul. Okay, to kind of be like Paul. I remember um, growing up. One of the things that was great for me is you guys know Dwight Knight. He was here a couple uh, weeks ago. 
is Dwight just made it clear, you can ask me anything you want about my life, and I'll tell it to you. And again, as I've said these things before, as a teenager, that meant the world to me. That, uh, that there was a, uh, a, a safety, a security to be able to have this, you know, as a teenager, Dwight was like Superman, you know, and that he would be able to open up and say, listen, any questions you have, and I asked him some really weird questions. <laughs> I mean, I just, I look back now, I'm like, oh my goodness, what was he thinking when I said that? But um, it is not the idea that we have to just blot out everything to everyone and just tell everyone our deepest, darkest secrets and all that stuff. However, there is something important that we do miss, that when people ask us about our lives, we should be able to share it. We should be able to share our mistakes and our victories. That we should be able to tell the next generation, especially how we got to where we are. And we said it, I feel like a thousand times, and sometimes maybe even as I was studying this, I want to put the onus back on us. Are, are we going up to people and asking them questions? How did they deal with this? How did they accomplish this? Okay, it doesn't always have to be the person pursuing, you know, the discipler pursuing the disciplee. In fact, it's the opposite. It's the person saying, I want to learn. And so can you teach me how you do this? Okay, and I think it would be beneficial for us to do that. If there are certain aspects of our lives that it's okay for us to say, can you just teach me about this one aspect of life? And so he has done this. And the first thing he mentioned, I think this is one of those uh, verses that the order actually matters. That he says, you have followed my doctrine. Doctrine would simply be instruction, but it has the idea that we might learn from the instruction. It is not simply facts. It's the idea that we are a learner, okay? And so this idea of Paul talking to Timothy before he dies, he wants to say, yes, you follow my doctrine. You are a lifelong learner. And somehow I think we need to be reminded of that in our faith, that when you became a Christian, you did not just get saved and that's the end of it. You signed up for, I am going to learn about who he is and who I am and how they don't mesh and how they should mesh for the rest of my life. And one of those reasons is because the scripture is so deep and there's such a depth to it that you can't possibly learn all about him. You can't. And the flip side of that is the world is constantly changing. So we need to learn how to adapt to the world and the society we live in. And so many times we're just kind of stubborn. We are a people that like to learn one piece and say, that's it. I'm done with the lesson. Drives me crazy. My, my prayer life all the time said, Lord, I don't want to learn this again. I don't want to learn this in a different way. I'm okay. I'm good with the lesson. I remember that lesson. Nope, I'm good. And I find myself in him gently teaching me the lesson again because there's a depth to it I didn't know. When I was getting um, certified to be a teacher, I had to go on weekends um, every Friday and Saturday for a year. I was 23 because I graduated college and then decided to switch careers within a year. It was a good choice. But most of the people in my class were in their 40s or 50s. And so I was kind of like the young kid. And um, I, I had already gotten a teaching job. 
under a durational shortage area permit. So basically, I was going on Fridays and Saturdays to learn, and I didn't care. I was like, I already got my job. This is just a piece of paper to me. And I remember kind of complaining once, um, being like, I don't even know what we're doing here. This is so stupid. This is a waste of time. And one of the older ladies, um, her name was Fran. She was such a riot. She says, you really don't think the teacher can teach you anything, hence you won't learn anything from her. And I thought, oh. And I realized right away, if I didn't feel like that lady who was my professor could teach me anything, I wasn't going to learn anything. And I, and I struggle with, is that my attitude, right? It sounds horrible if that would be our attitude towards God, but is that our attitude towards God? God, you really can't teach me anything anyway. So that's why I'm not going to learn. You really don't have the ability to give me the answers to these hard questions that I'm dealing with. So you really can't teach me. Doctrine is instruction for the learners. It's instruction for life. This book can actually give us wisdom on every situation in life at any time. And we would be good to be reminded of that. Do you know 15 times in the Psalms, the psalmist says, teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord. Psalms 143.10 says, teach me to do thy will. For you are my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. God, because you are perfect and you are good and everything you do is good, you have to teach me. That's the attitude, the lifelong attitude of the believer. When hard times come up, we go, okay, it's something we got to learn. What do you want to teach me, Lord? What do you want to teach me? Do you know that man has a doctrine? In Ephesians 4.14, it says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning and craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. There is teaching going on all the time from the world. And guess what? It's like the wind. It changes constantly. Constantly. And I want to remind us that man has doctrine. Why? Because here's one of the phrases that... Um, just drives me nuts, is when believers go, well, I, I have to go to the professionals. I don't know what that means. Now, I'm not degrading at all professionalism. There's certain areas that I have no idea, and i got to go to the, quote, professional. But here's the one that drives me nuts when it comes to raising kids. The professionals told me this, so they must be right. Now, again, I, I, I know how I sound right now. I'm not getting into the whole that they're all bad, none of that. What I am saying is you better be very careful who you're listening to. There's doctrine out there that's not right. <laughs> and I can tell you being in the public school system for 20 years, their doctrine changes. It changes. And so again, like I, man, it seems like I'm all about corporal punishment. I'm not. But we are now, you know, in my short lifetime at a point where you even mention spanking kids and people look at you like you're abusive, crazy, and the professionals have proven that that doesn't work. So now you got a choice to make. The Bible says one thing, and the studies show another thing. you got a choice to make. 
And there's a lot in the middle there. But I'm just saying, be careful. Be careful about man's doctrine. And make sure you know this doctrine. Make sure you know it. Do you know that doctrine can actually be attractive? Turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Let me give you my little translation, okay? There was bondservants, people who chose to work for these guys, and they're saying, listen, the way you are on the job, the way you treat the one that has authority over you actually can make the doctrine of God, the teaching of God, look good. Make it look good. And there's actually other examples of this in the Bible. Okay? And so that we have this teaching, but just remember that the Christian who actually lives out real doctrine can be attractive to the world. Now, there's times where the world definitely, we live it out and they, and they hate us. And Jesus said that. There's also times where we live out God's teachings and the world goes, wow, I didn't know that still existed here on earth. Really? We talk about this all the time in the family unit. The traditional God-given family unit that actually works is now a mystery to the world. And, and, and the whole time, there's no way you guys like each other and wanted to hang out. That, what, wait a minute, what does that mean? And it's actually saying, yes, if you hear God's instruction on how the family's supposed to work, it will make him look good. And the world can sit there and be like, oh my goodness, you guys want to hang out? I have never heard an eight-year-old say, I'm sorry, mommy, I was wrong. Those kind of teachings are, are just miraculous to the world they don't see that they don't hear that and us simply knowing what god has taught and applying it to our lives can look good to people can look good so the the practical example with this one and and i'm gonna you know again speaking man you're always held to a, a, a different uh <laughs> a different standard the the context here is basically like, stop stop complaining on the job that's what it's saying here. Bond servants, don't talk back. Don't complain. Do your job. Do your job and let God take care of the rest. And I got to tell you, being a teacher during COVID is one of my goals, and I don't know if I'm doing well. My goal is just don't complain. Just don't complain. <laughs> it's tough. Tough to not complain. Doctrine is extremely important. We are lifelong learners who need to learn God's ways through his word, that it might make him look good, that it might be a witness, and we reject man's doctrine. As doctrine can be attractive, what about our own lifestyle? That is the next word. It says, you have carefully followed my doctrine and my manner of life. This is the only time it's mentioned, this word in the New Testament. 
It's kind of funny. We always talk about lifestyle things. This is the only place it is mentioned. Timothy, you have followed my lifestyle. And I've started to say this over and over in my preaching because I think there's a huge need for us to wrap our minds around the concept, again, of lifestyle Christianity and not how we act in one specific uh, situation or another. There is lifestyle faith that the Christian has a certain lifestyle because he's a believer. Why does lifestyle matter so much? Because talk is cheap. That's why. And Paul could sit here and tell Timothy, look, I'm glad you looked at my life. I'm the doctrine dude. Paul, the letter of all these epistles, the one that writes hard things, smarter than probably most of the people he's talking to. Pharisee of fair. This dude is a genius. He can talk his way out of things. And he's like, look, Timothy, right after the whole doctrine, yes, you follow that, but you've also followed my lifestyle. Because it doesn't matter what I say if my life doesn't match up. Doesn't matter. And so I'm glad that you have observed how I live my life. How I live my life. One of the first times I heard talk is cheap, I still remember I was back in college. And uh, one of the guys at our church, his son was visiting or something. I found out he was a, a physical trainer. I went right up to him. I'm like, hey, man, can you give me some tips on how to get in shape? He looked right at me. He goes, talk is cheap. Why don't you meet me in the gym? I went, I can do that. <laughs> I just, I, it was a, just one of those clear memories. Like, I mean, he just looked right at me. Talk is cheap. Why don't you meet me in the gym? Uh, no, not going to do that. But, but he got me. He got me, right? Oh, I just like to talk about it, hear something. You're not in the gym, and it doesn't really matter what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, Jesus Christ said this. In John chapter 10, verses 22 through 25, they said, why don't you just tell us plainly that you're the Christ? Here's what he said. I already told you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify on my behalf. I have already spoken to you a word, and now if you don't like my words, Jesus Christ has always said, why don't you take a look at my life? You don't like the words? Look at the works. They will testify to you that I'm from God. Remember the people said, how in the world can a demon-possessed person do the things he did? That doesn't make sense. You can't have demons cast out demons. That doesn't make sense. Look at his life. Look at his life. Your works will always speak louder than your words. Now, again, we get into one of these things that we like to, quote, not talk about works as believers because we know it's by grace we've been saved. But my goodness, guys, we should have works. We should have a lifestyle where people can look at our good works and it says something about us. It has to. You've got to have a reputation, guys. If, listen, if you're at work and you've been to that job for 10 years and the people you work with don't know you're a believer, your lifestyle stinks. I'm sorry. I can be nice and I can be gracious and sometimes we're just too nice. Listen, guys, raise the standard. If you're in a workplace and they have no idea you're a believer and you've been there for a while, you don't have a Christian lifestyle. You don't. Just suck it up and praise the Lord. He'll be easier for you. You can change today. <laughs> 
I mean, sometimes we are so nice about lifestyle. The Christian lifestyle should look different. People should know. That's how it should be. Our, our works should say something. You know, the problem sometimes is that life lifestyles take time to build. Remember Paul on his great list? Let's, uh, I'll, I'll read it to you quickly in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 24. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in pearls of robbers, in pearls of my own countrymen, in pearls of the Gentiles, in pearls in the city, in pearls of the wilderness, in pearls of the sea, in pearls among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, and in cold and in nakedness, besides the other things which comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So when we talk about, yeah, I've suffered for the Lord, yeah, why don't you compare yourself with Paul? Because that guy's lifestyle actually says, yes, I'm actually one that suffers for the Lord. He's got a list. We're still talking about high school when the bully made fun of us for being a Christian. That's what we're doing. We're saying, no, yeah, I've been persecuted by the Lord. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Life's been tough sometimes. We're talking about memories from 12 to 15 years ago. When someone says, Paul, are you suffering for the Lord? He has a list. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And, uh, and again, that's a great message we've talked about before of that verse. You can almost hear Paul saying, yeah, yeah, all that physical stuff. You don't understand my daily stress for my concern for the churches. You got anxiety. I got anxiety. I am stressed out about church. That's my lifestyle. Every day when I wake up, I think, what about those in Corinth? What about those in Ephesus? What about those churches I have worked with? I'm concerned for them. That was his lifestyle. His lifestyle. Guys, it is not hard to know whether your lifestyle is that of a striving believer or not. It's just not. If you aren't serving the Lord... If you don't have, quote, normal ministries, then you don't have a lifestyle of serving the Lord. It doesn't have to be through church. It doesn't have to be official. You, between you and the Lord, do, do you have a lifestyle of how you serve? Do you have a lifestyle of Bible study? A lifestyle of it. Maybe no one knows. It doesn't matter. You don't need to proc you know, proclaim that stuff. But if I looked at you and asked you, how in your life have you studied God's word? What would you tell me? Are you still reading just a couple verses a day and you've done that for 20 years? Our lifestyle should be one of this. 
in Romans 6, 4, if you're wondering, you know, kind of what does a Christian lifestyle look, and it, you know, it's, it's hard to uh, really kind of put what does a Christian lifestyle look like in a couple sentences. But in Romans 6, 4, it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Walk in newness of life. The Christian lifestyle, as we talked about being a lifelong learner, means there's something new all the time. Something new all the time. New depth of knowledge, new service, new obedience. Okay? You go to any one of those areas. Okay? I used to swear 30 times a day. Now I'm down to 10 times. And then now I'm down. And now I swear once every three months. There, there's a progression of newness there. I stopped swearing. There's service. One of the one, you know, I used to uh, teach Sunday school, and then I started teaching this, and then now I got, like, there's newness there. It grows. It grows. Newness of life. Our understanding and practical application of God's word is new all the time. We are constant learners. Hence, our service and our obedience grows as we grow. The simple verse, husband loves your wives as Christ loves the church. We should become better spouses as the years go on because we have learned new depths of what love is and how to apply it. The Christian that is the exact same spouse 30 years down the road is not learning. Just not. It doesn't mean the verse changed. It doesn't mean um, somehow we rejected it. It just means there's a depth there. There's newness. There's, oh, God taught me one more way to love my wife. God taught me one more way to not be selfish. God taught me one more way to serve. And that's the lifestyle, to own it, to realize, hey, I feel like I'm a pretty good husband right now. But I know that if I'm pursuing the Lord 10 years down the road, I will look back and go, I was not that good. Because now he's taught me all this. It's a progression. The third word there is purpose. And by the way, if you're like me, I'm not going to go over every word. So don't freak out. You know what I mean? We're talking about this last week, me and Lit, right? Like when, when a preacher gives outlines, like, oh, we got four points. And it's like five minutes to go and they're on point two. Oh, that's the worst. I just want to let you know, this is the last word I'm going to do. <laughs> you follow my doctrine, you follow my manner of life, and my purpose. Okay, what was Paul's purpose? Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul is called to preach. Now everyone's calling, okay, but we are all called to teach and warn every man in all wisdom. 
that we might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor. It gets even more narrowed down in Galatians, where Paul realizes my purpose is to the Gentiles. I'm going to stop talking to the Jews. I'm going to go only to the Gentiles. And that's how lifestyle happens. Your purpose, what God has called you specifically to do, starts off really broad and then hopefully gets more and more narrow. Okay, and then God grows things. But you, you should be figuring out what is my purpose in this life? Because we know this, right? That God has ordained before the foundations of the earth your purpose. What he wants you to do on this earth. And I think we are people sometimes that are forgetting that whole conversation. That God has put his, his divine thumbprint on our lives saying, I have something for you to do. And just you. You've been made unique. I loved you. I fearfully and wonderfully made you. I took my time creating you. And I gave you purpose. Are you living it out? Are you living it out? Jesus Christ's purpose was to bring salvation to all men, right? We know that, right? He was the Savior of the world. For this reason, I have come, okay? But what's interesting to me is sometimes when we talk about purpose, I wanted to look at it from this um, kind of angle. Could any world event change Jesus' purpose? Could Jesus sit there and say, yep, I'm the Savior of the world, but you know what? The Romans just took over. It's not going to work right now. The empire came. You know what? I didn't get married. Uh, maybe the, I, I don't know, guys. But the point is, is that purpose trumps all that stuff. Okay? Why do I say that? Right now, on a simpler term, is there any Olympians not training because of COVID or the new election? That would be weird for an Olympian to say, well, I stopped training. You know, Trump got in, Biden got in. So I stopped training. COVID happened, so I stopped training. They're not going to say that. They're going to change the way they train, maybe. But the purpose has not changed. I'm an Olympian. I have games to compete in coming up. Why do I say that? Because it was just, it was just again, uh, convincing and inspiring all at the same time for me that God's purpose for me, it has nothing to do with what the world's doing around me. Nothing. God has given a purpose to my life, a calling on me specifically, and it does not matter what happens out there. I think sometimes we just let the world in and we let it confuse our purpose. Now, purposes um, their person, I'm saying circumstances can change how we might accomplish that. But God-given purpose should not be affected by what the world does. Shouldn't. I want to um, try to give an example of, uh, well, what, what are we willing to do to fulfill our purpose? Paul was willing to die. Now I know that's a little loaded. He talked literally with the Lord. He, uh, you know, he knew he was going to die. I mean, but I think Paul was going to do his purpose till the end. Paul's the one that said, I have finished the fight. I have ran the, my purpose is done. We've talked about this when Jesus Christ died on the cross. It is finished. His 
purpose was done. Was there still people that needed to be uh, healed? Yes. Was there still there? But his purpose was complete. Okay? And so what are we willing to do to fulfill our God-given purpose in this world? So the only thing I can think of, because I love fishing, was the salmon. I want to tell you what I can learn from the fish, the salmon, and this idea of purpose. A salmon is born, and then, you know, it kind of grows up, and it's basically moving downstream at the whole beginning of its life. Not too difficult. The current takes it. Okay? Then it goes out to the ocean. It typically spends uh, four to five years in the ocean. And then, then they have a God-given instinct to return to the place where they were born to fulfill their purpose, which is to bring on the next generation. I'm not saying that's our purpose. I'm just saying this is the salmon's purpose. Okay? So they have this great life. They go downstream. They go into the ocean for a couple years. And then God-given purpose, you're going to go back to the place you were born. And you're going to bring on the next generation. Do you know when they start to go back and they start to make that journey, they leave the ocean, they physically start to change, turn different colors, their jaws become hooked, some of the males, um, they look like a completely different fish. What is the point, James? You got to understand that as we get closer to fulfilling God's purpose in our lives, we too change. We are conformed to his image. We no longer look like the person that we were years before. It is impossible for us to fulfill this God purpose given to our lives and be the same person when we were young. You can't fulfill your purpose if that's true. The energy they spend to swim upstream is remarkable. At the end of their lives, they are constantly going upstream, constantly going against the current. When they were a little salmon fry, they would go over a waterfall and let that waterfall just simply take them down to the pool and then keep going downstream. Now, as you might know, salmon can propel themselves up and jump up waterfalls to get back to where they're supposed to be. They can leap 15 feet in the air and jump waterfalls all because their purpose is driving them and they will take whatever energy they have to make it back to fulfill their purpose. I don't know how much of our energy we use to fulfill the purpose God has given us. Some of us don't even know what that is. And yet, would we use all of our energy to fulfill it? The interesting thing is when they actually make it up there, it doesn't get any easier. Sometimes they have to now fight for territory. They've gone upstream. Usually it takes about six months. The last time the salmon ate food was in the ocean. They do this whole journey. 
based on what's already been put into their system. When they finally get up there and they uh, try to have their offspring, okay, everyone knows what happens. As soon as they fulfill their purpose, they die. They die. And the interesting thing to me about this whole thing was they have just had this nice life at that last six months of their life. They're just so crucial, so energy driven, just doing crazy things like jumping up waterfalls. They have physically changed their purpose to bring on the next generation. They lay about 30,000 eggs, females, 30,000. The success rate of those eggs is around 5%. Their whole purpose 90 to 95% never make it. The interesting thing is, again, I think no matter what we say, I think we're a people that if we don't see the results, we don't like our purpose. These guys, these salmon, 90 to 95% of those eggs will never make it. And they give their lives doing it. Because it was put in them by their creator. God has given us purpose. And again, this goes back to Christianity 101, that we do what we do for him and his glory. We don't have to worry about results. Our purpose is to please him and do what he has given us to do. Now, I said I was only going to do these three, but I just think in closing, I think there is an order to these things. I'm going to tell you why. You start with doctrine and then lifestyle and then purpose. Faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance. Well, because if you start with love, if you start with faith, out of order, Faith without doctrine is what? You believe in what? I, you know, if you have this sign in your house, great. I just, that whole sign that's like, just believe, I can't stand that sign. <laughs> believe in what? And it's kind of like humans want to trick you to just believe. Uh, believe in what? I mean, you know, just believe. I don't know what you mean. Just believe. Guys, we all have faith in different things. Faith has to be rooted in doctrine and in truth. You can't just be like, I totally believe. If you have no idea what you're believing in. How can you persevere and suffer without knowing what your purpose is? If you don't have the mindset that God has called me to this and that I know he appreciates it when I do this and I am motivated by that and he will reward me one day. If you don't know those things, if you don't know purpose, the persecution and suffering comes, I guarantee you quit. I guarantee you quit. Love is so important. Yet, As we have said, you better know what biblical love is. Because love without doctrine can be seen as a whole different 
thing. Not loving people correctly can be seen really bad. Flirting and, and winking and trying to, uh, as the Proverbs talk about, um, this, this idea of, of trying to kind of, um, you know, you're trying to get something out of it. Okay? No doctrine. Have a lifestyle committed to the Lord. Know your purpose. And then on those things, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance can come. Because as it says, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. So we need to know doctrine and lifestyle and purpose because persecution will come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your goodness and your grace. And uh, Lord, we just worship you for who you are. Help us, Lord, just to know what to learn, how to learn. Help us to have a lifestyle that is honoring to you, that we might look back over a period of time and be able to say, yes, he was a follower, she was a follower of Christ. Lord, help us to understand our purpose if we don't know it. And uh, thank you for being gracious through this whole process. In your name, amen.